Hello and welcome. My name is Robin Marriott of Property EU, and I'm delighted to be hosting this second edition of the Urban Land Institute's Vanguard podcast series. Now, the ULI brings together real estate and land use experts from around the world with a clear mission to shape the built environment and have a transformative impact on neighbourhoods and cities and communities. And this podcast focuses on that future and that transformative impact. Now, the ULI's Young Leaders Group recently selected 10 outstanding young professionals already making waves in the industry, calling them the new real estate vanguard. And I'm delighted to welcome one of them today, Bridget Wilkins, who actually has a very long title, Bridget, so I'm going to ask you to say it this time. (laughs) Okay, fantastic. Um, Great to join uh, this discussion, Robin. My name is Bridget Wilkins, official title, Head of Digital Citizen Engagement at the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities. There we go. We got it in. (laughs) Which is well done, which is quite the mouthful. Now, of course, we're going to come in this discussion to what that actually means, what your job entails. I know you have some uh, some things to say, some very important things to say about digital engagement, citizen engagement, and how that also affects ESG outcomes, for example. You have things to say about getting a more diverse skill set into the real estate industry, and also the role of the UK and Europe when it comes to prop, de- prop tech. So before we get into that though, Bridget, seeing as you're working in the government, what a year. Let, let, let's be honest. What a year we've had of complete and utter change. I mean, I would love to hear you know, your perspective on things as they've unfolded so far. I think uh, it's a very good question. And uh, I think what, what I can say is that you're right, it has been a huge year of change, but also opportunity. And I think um, both in a government perspective, but also across the sector, we're seeing an unprecedented level of change, particularly driven, driven by digital transformation, prop tech, and I think the evolving skills of the industry. Um, change has almost been the one constant in my career. Uh, when I we might we might get to this later, but when I actually moved to the UK six years ago on a one-way ticket to work at CBRE in the development advisory team, I arrived here two days after Brexit, and uh, my job was to essentially convince real estate developers to build speculative real estate based on assumptions around growth. And of course, they all completely dissolved in the first couple of weeks that I was here. So that kind of set the tone for me many years ago around how to um, operate and still make decisions and I suppose adapt in an increasingly changing and volatile environment, whether it's politically or across the sector. And I think we're only going to see that continue to to grow um, as we look at how technology plays an increasing role across the built environment and wider sector. Exactly. Now, I'm sure listeners can already pick up. There's surely a twang <laughs> of an Australian accent in there. Could you just tell us about your where you come from, of course, uh, a little bit about your upbringing would be great. Great to know. I do have a twang. I've tried to uh, soften it over the years, but I'm still holding on after after being here for six years or so. So I grew up in Brisbane uh, and I grew up in real estate. It's a family business, uh, quite humble beginnings. And uh, of course, spending many years um, as a young child in real estate offices and businesses and stamping envelopes and handing out keys and answering phones, uh, I vowed never to go into it as a career. It was all we ever did. And I was going to go change the world. I was going to stand in front of bulldozers in front of the rainforest and be the first female prime minister of Australia and, you know, take on the, take on the industries and corporations. And then I realised actually that real estate does offer a chance to do some of that, but also it really is, in my opinion, the only sector where you can drive real change for people and communities at scale and at pace. Um, you know, the provision of housing is the fundamental element of 
Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, and it's fundamentally what many cultures and civilizations see as that key principle for community and for social sustainability. And so I recognise that actually there's a huge opportunity in real estate, and uh, and I should pursue it as a career. So I went and studied university. I really didn't like it at the start. Um, I studied a Bachelor of Urban Development and Property Economics, and it really focused on you know, construction and project management and town planning. And I just wanted to talk to people. And that was kind of how I how I grew up. And, and so I thought that was, you know, that's where I wanted to get back to. But I recognised that, uh, you know, there's things like planning law and legal law and commercial realities. And I probably should learn those things if I want to uh, see how far and why I can go. And so I took that and I, I sort of secured my first role working in evaluation and advisory team. Um, doing a lot of specialist valuations around land, around resumption, CPOs, as they're called here, um, around retail, leasing, um, and sort of mediations with, with governments and developers. And then after a few years sort of learning the fundamentals of, of that, I wanted to run uh, run with the wolves, as they say. And so I joined the capital markets team at CBRE in Australia. Uh, and we'll probably touch on this later on, a point around diversity. You know, I was one of only a few women across all the firms at that in those days. Um, that was certainly a, a learning experience and a huge opportunity for me. And, you know, during that time, I, uh, I worked hard and I, and I was involved in a number of um, major transactions of sort of commercial buildings and, and development sites, which was fantastic. And again, a huge learning opportunity. And then I kind of started to hit whatever we want to call it, glass ceilings, brick walls. I'm sure we all define it differently and thought it's time to jump off a cliff. And so I quit my job, bought a one-way ticket, somehow got a job in London, CBRA here. And as I mentioned, I you know arrived here in, in um, July 2016. Uh, I might stop there because there's another chapter which we can go to maybe later on around how that led me to technology or if you want, I can... Keep going. There's many well, chapters in the story. I'm loving it. I'm loving yeah. the detail. Uh, there's just one thing that you, I know that you mentioned to me before we you know, started recording mm. this podcast, but you seem like a very communicative, talkative person. <laughs> well, perhaps this is in the blood because you mentioned uh, your father. Although he's in real estate, you said at the same time he does something else, which might actually explain. He's uh, all, Yeah, he, uh, he also does community radio. So uh, both my parents have been in real estate. They met in real estate. Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of in my blood, um, talking to people and uh, and, and I, listening to people's stories. That's really what real estate's about. You know, people have a problem with housing, a housing need, and if we understand what those problems are, we can solve it. And, yeah, we when I was growing up, we used to literally do dialogue of, like, contract negotiations and answering phone calls and buyer negotiations and tactics. So, like, I really got the full spectrum of um, of, you know, sort of living and breathing it for many years. Hence why I didn't want to go into it, but uh, but it's great. And my my, my mum and dad uh, both have had very different um, careers in real estate, and uh, I think it's definitely influenced sort of I think the role that that we can all have in you know enabling the provision of housing and just I think bringing that human element to it. I, I think you know uh, working in London and across Europe for many of us, we have such a unique opportunity to work at an amazing level of scale. Um, and that's obviously brings some great opportunities, but I think sometimes we might forget that sort of intrinsic human experience and element of real estate. You know, the first time you um, have the keys and you walk into your own um, flat, the first time you get onto the property ladder, being able to downsize and move into retirement, uh, being able to, you know, uh, upsize when you're growing a family. These are all so many key moments in our life that real estate allows us to do um, and to shift and adapt and 
whether we're building, you know, 10,000 build-to-rent portfolios across Europe or new industrial and logistics parks or retail super centers, like there is always that human element and experience that I think we have to remember. And I'm certainly um, hoping to keep grounding myself in through through sort of growing up in in that world for, for many years. Now, Bridget, for those people that are listening in and also thinking of jumping on off a cliff. <laughs> it was a good cliff. It was a good cliff. It was a good cliff. <laughs> but just, just walk me through this uh, a moment. There you are in uh, Australia, and then you decide, as you said, to just buy a, literally a one-way ticket uh, mm. over here to London. But then you managed to get this job in CBRE. But so yeah. for, for those people that you know, think of taking a risk, how did you go about doing that? It was quite calculated. I say it quite clearly now, but I, uh, it's hard, you know, when you're in uh, a comfortable job and life and relationships and network and security, change is always, you know, very scary and uncertain. And it certainly was for me. There's no, there's no denying that. But I knew I travelled to London a few times and I knew there was just something here for me. I didn't know what it was. It was like this invisible cord just saying like, come back, come back, come and, <laughs> come and see what's here. And uh, there was a few sort of signs from the universe I interpreted. And, you know, my, my time at CBRE in Australia was fantastic. And and I really learned a lot and I'm very grateful for the team there. I uh, But I just, I just wanted to be in a different type of pond. So... Uh, in terms of how I got here, I literally picked a date, 21 June 2016. I had it on my wall, had it as a you know password. It was like in every way that I could remind myself I was getting on a plane that day. I sent like 300 goodbye. Everyone thinks I'm ridiculous. I sent everyone goodbye cards, like I'm going. I sold everything. You know, it, it, I look back and I wonder like, why, why did I micromanage every single part of my life? I could have just got on a plane. I didn't have to have an Excel spreadsheet with all these filters and color codes. But also, like, I could have just got on a plane. And I think I didn't want to give myself any excuse to not get on that plane. I didn't want to make it easy to come back. I didn't want to have a car or, or anything really assets that I could just, you know, I kind of didn't know how hard it would be. It's like any, any change in your life. You never know how challenging it's going to be until you're in it. And, of course, it's been challenging. Um, it's also been the best thing I've ever done. And so because I couldn't go back to a security blanket, that was never an option in my mind. Uh, but yeah, it's funny the things that you think about after the benefit of hindsight. OMG, I, you know, I thought I was a meticulous planner, but you absolutely take the biscuits. <laughs> Ego CD. With your colour coding expert. So, so, yeah. so you come to London, you land this job. What do you do at CBRE in London at this point? And just also... I've noticed from your, say, LinkedIn profile that you, you, you seem to have got so heavily involved in things like PropTech, for example, and then your profile began to rise. You were uh, involved in panel sessions, sometimes chairing events and so on and so forth. That, that's what's caught my eye. But perhaps tell us a little bit about that. So I had a really interesting role at CBRE. Uh, I was working in the development advisory and management team there. So essentially um, site and land assembly across London uh, and taking those sites through that initial pre-application and pre-planning stage. So um, appointing and working with brilliant architects and MEP engineers and structural designers and somehow trying to make it all stack up with the numbers <laughs> and go, oh, and I was not really going to know what else can we do? But it was great because, you know, it really allowed me to understand some of the constraints that we have definitely in the planning system and then also the opportunities that, that London and the UK has to build some fantastic real estate and, and sort of outcomes for different users in that space. And it was great. I, I learned a lot. And, you know, my first project was Crossrail 2. And I was like, how do I even catch the tube, let alone like 
work on Crossrail 2. Wait, so has it was, that been built yet? I don't think so. I still didn't get the Crossrail 2. But like, there's, it was really interesting because I think the thing that I was just so inspired by when I came here was this level of scale. Like you get to work on the biggest stuff in London and Europe because there's just so many people and you've got to plan for that. Crossrail 2 is a 2035 timeline. We've got to do the feasibility five years ago and even before that because there's so many stages to go through. It's a brilliant project to work on as, as one of a few. And so as I was doing that, I, um, I recognised that there was some murmurs around technology. You know, I just could sort of see that there was clearly some opportunities there and I suppose, you know, sort of working in in this world for a while, you know, you've got to recognise the role technology has to play. And I thought there's 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 some things to understand here about what how much impact it's really going to have. This was like six years ago. Alongside this, like I had no network when I moved here. I moved here, I didn't know a single person, like no family, no friends. Uh, and so I really focused on building my network alongside, um, you know, working and, and trying to understand what, what tech could, could, you know, play a part in that. And so I got started getting involved in the industry and put my hand up and volunteer for things and be that, you know, awkward person who says, I'll do it, I'll do it, you know, just to make some friends really and see where that goes. Uh, and a friend of mine from CBRE was running a brilliant program called Peer 20, which I'm going to plug now um, for the listeners. And it's a, it's a great program where we, you know, we bring people together across a dinner series and really try and build different types of relationships across the industry. And that definitely helped me. Um, almost as a vehicle to build my own network uh, and also meet some brilliant people, some of who worked in the prop tech space and some who didn't. And so as my time at CBRE evolved and I was becoming more involved in, more involved in technology, uh, I got involved in the Urban Land Institute uh, tech, tech Steering Committee, which again was great, really interesting people around the table. And we would say, you know, what, are we, what is prop tech? Where is it going to go? What are we going to do? How are we going to respond to it? And that kind of kicked things off. And so that you know led to another thing where I got involved with the CBRE UK Innovation Board. I remember at the time being around the table. I think I was the only one there under thirty, and uh, I had some questions. <laughs> you know, it was great, but I think there was a definitely a piece around you know that diversity of skills and age trying to bring to it. So that for me was a good opportunity, a bit of horizon scanning of seeing what's coming down down the pipeline and and where there's real opportunities. And alongside that, I uh, I met Savannah De Savary, who was the founder. Still is the founder of a prop tech company called Built ID, um, through a Peer Twenty dinner that I was hosting uh, with with Lorna, and I remember she talked me about Built ID and gave my view the the platform that she was developing at the time with the team, and we had a conversation around it. She showed me sort of the prototype that was yet to launch, and there I was trying to understand the prop tech sector and see where those real gaps were and you know, see what role I might play in advising clients. Never thinking I'd go work at a startup purely because of the visa that I had. I had to sort of be sponsored by a, by a company, and I just thought, well, I'll be involved because I'm curious and I want to learn and know more. And I'll never forget Savannah showed me the prototype for Give My View, and I thought this is going to change the world. Mm. So what I'm hearing is you had no mates basically, and you volunteered <laughs> for everything. It just happened to be prop tech, and this is yeah. it seems like it's it's grown on you, and then. After out of all of this, your journey yeah. that you described so far, you end up, as we've said, working for the British government, right? Yes. You landed yes. this role. Now, I'm going to ask you to say your title again. One more time. And this is the time where you actually get to explain what this means. What is the role about? Fantastic. So my title is Head of Digital Citizen Engagement for the Department for Levelling Up Housing and Communities. There we go. <laughs> 
God. It's a bit of a mouthful. It's a really exciting role. So um, I might just do a quick bridge from the, the previous story. But when I was uh, ended up working at um, Built ID, I was working with Savannah on a team to scale their prop tech platform, Give My View, which essentially is a digital citizen engagement tool, working with developers, public and private sector, on how we can engage um, communities in the plan making and um development process and that was a brilliant a brilliant position and a brilliant team and product and we certainly scaled it across the UK and into Ireland and uh, probably a different story for a different question but <laughs> I sort of recognized that there was a real opportunity to to drive us even further scale an opportunity and there's a role that legislation has to play in supporting scaling of prop tech across the UK and there was a role that government can play in hopefully stimulating a more um, diverse and resilient ecosystem of prop tech suppliers, ultimately driven by local government demand. So that's kind of the, the recognition I was having at the time. And then this role came up and I thought, wow, maybe I should go for this. Like this is, this is one of those roles where it won't happen again. And it's the first time it's happening. And then, yeah, I think my curiosity got the better of me and the ambition I had to see you know, what is the real potential for central government and prop tech to, to work together with local authority demand across you know, more than 300 councils in the country? It's huge potential. And so I started in the role uh, just over 12 months ago, and it's been an amazing uh, experience. Essentially, to come back to your question, um, my focus is on how we build essentially a self-sustaining ecosystem in the UK around prop tech. Let's focus now on digital citizen engagement because that's a critical um, part of the planning system that is that is broken often um, when buildings and roads and hospitals and infrastructure is built you know people living around that are the last to hear about it you might get a letter in the mail you might see an advertisement in the in the newspaper but often it's in English it's designed um, to tell you what's happening but not really for you to engage and people have been trying for a long time and spending a lot of investment in community engagement but it's been in quite an analog um, approach and so there's a really interesting opportunity for technology part of that approach to bring more people into that conversation around change and to have a more inclusive experience for the wider community whether they're in the rental market whether they're in a different language whether they're um, transient whether they're in a different demographic you know we should be hearing from all people around what change means for them in a planning and a housing context and hopefully use that to not only inform but de-risk that planning process and so that's kind of the space that we're playing in a digital planning where we're looking at um, how we can support local authorities to pilot a range of digital solutions to consulting their residents across a different um, huge broad of a huge huge range of planning projects um, and see see what we learn from that and where it goes and so as I mentioned we're focusing right now on consultation and citizen engagement but recognise there are other opportunities uh, in the wider prop tech ecosystem that we'd love to see how we can support as well. Yes, I was just going to ask you about that. Actually, yeah. bring it down to the practical level. You know, what is it that you and your team are actually doing on the ground? It's 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 about engagement. So I, I guess I'm just sat here wondering: is there any engagement out there? Uh, who are you trying to engage, and is that engagement actually being? generated shall we say it's a, it's a good question something that we're thinking about all the time so at a practical level in the last 12 months we've been able to fund 45 local authorities across the uk to go and invest in a range of prop tech solutions and services to then engage communities 
again, on a range of projects. So we're as south as Plymouth, we're as Plymouth, we're as north as Liverpool. We're working on public realm and nighttime strategy, infrastructure development, state regeneration, local plans, strategic master plans, garden communities, low traffic neighbourhoods. We're kind of trying to touch as many areas of where planning is involved as possible, both from a statutory requirement, but also an opportunity to sort of reinvent different areas where communities and built environment interact. And so we've funded 45 local authorities who then have been able to pilot these solutions. And across these platforms, we've seen a huge increase in response. So we worked with um, Cotswolds Council and they uh, had six and a half thousand people respond to their local plan consultation, which completely surpassed their previous benchmarks. Um, we've had councils get two, three, four hundred percent times higher level of responses because they're using digital to go to the people rather than assuming that people will come to them in in town halls and at sort of stand up events. Um, and what's been really interesting is the space of where digital and physical meet. It's that hybrid experience. So. You might, again, go to the people, you might go to a farmer's market or a community networking event, um, but you'll take an iPad. You'll take uh, a survey that's gamified, that has virtual reality or augmented reality, and you'll change that experience for the user. You better sell them and show them the vision so ultimately you have a much more positive engagement experience around that consultation and we hope a more positive um, response to the actual proposed changes. And we're certainly seeing that a number of councils who've, piloted virtual reality and augmented reality and you know putting headsets on kids at schools and you know and even putting on jetpacks and flying through high streets in uh, in Cornwall and Surrey and different areas in the country it's completely changed the game of what consultation could be useful in terms of that more experiential part of planning and development I think has really um, brought the vision to life for a lot of people who normally see a, you know, a pdf document and say well I don't know how this relates to me and they turn it up. So we're, we're really trying to, to, to challenge a lot of thinking and we're certainly seeing a lot of results in that space. This is music to my ears, but at the same time, you really got me thinking because let me, let me give a, a shout out to my where I live. Uh, it's it's a London borough, which oh, is, is Lewisham. Yes. I don't know if you've had any yes. dealings. Have you had some dealings? They're not, they're not working with us, but there's some they brilliant opportunities. Well, Please. we should tell them to apply. For the Please, next Lewisham, if, you, if you're listening. <laughs> because, because look, yeah. let, let, let's, let's get real, very real for a second. So here I am as a resident of Lewisham. There's some very good things in, in Lewisham and there's many things that aren't so good. Now, being a, a typical person, I look around and there's two things. One, I want to moan about a few things. Secondly, I may even have some decent ideas exactly. about how to improve things. You mentioned infrastructure, community. So if I want to do that right now, what do I do? Of course, I go to the website and, you know, well, doesn't you know, work, does it? You're, you're shrugging your shoulders because it, it doesn't work. There's, there's, there's nothing I can do. There's maybe a form that doesn't even work properly. Of course, I never hear back. Where does it go? Where does it go? Who's looking at it? Do they even care? Is anyone and out it, there? And this is the thing. This is the thing. People do care. And this is, the, I think this is where we come in and try and bridge the gap. Planners are some of the most, I've just spent the whole day yesterday at the planning conference. Brilliant people, but they are under-resourced. Everyone's doing poor people's jobs. There is a capacity issue, particularly for local government in planning teams. And and they do care. They care because they're there. But there's a thing around how we can use technology to almost take that burden off a little bit. So, you know, we can go to you. We can ask you your opinions about Lewisham. We can see what matters to you. What are those priorities and what your ideas are? And we can automate that. And we can take that off planners' hands and give them that feedback back. There's still a long way to go in terms of the product development. That's kind of the space we want to play next of how we can really co-design with industry what good looks like for 
those um, specific platform solutions led by the lived experience of planners and local authorities and also the development market as well. It has to work for everyone. Uh, but I totally hear, you know, there, there's every, everyone's almost got a story around a frustration, which is, which is an interesting starting point uh, because it helps us sort of relate our program and I think really drive that wider adoption. Our key, our key principle is how we can enable and empower every local authority in the country to use digital technology in planning and real estate development. Prop tech obviously is part of that. Some people call it prop tech, some people call it plan tech, some people call it tech. It, you know, it, it's all relatable. Um, but there's a piece on how we really drive advocacy and, and can work with some brilliant local authorities who want to be the champions of change. And we're just lucky enough to be on that journey with them. It is a journey. So just, just to give people like me hope, are we going in the right direction? Where are we on this journey? Right at the beginning, I, I guess. I'm not really sure. And can, can, how fast can we get to our destination? Depends how you define the destination. I think I think we're I think we're on a good we're on a good so we've got we've got good momentum. I think what's what I've been really surprised about is the level of demand uh, from industry to adopt uh, digital citizen engagement platforms, and that's again just one part of the prop tech ecosystem. So, for example, uh, we did a showcase event. Uh, in July this year, where we sort of presented back some of the outcomes of the increased engagement and the more positive response and the time saved by planner teams because they were able to use digital technology. And there was an online session, and I know I could talk about it all day, but, it, you know, it's exciting stuff, but it is still one part of the planning ecosystem. We had 863 people register for that event, and we had 650 people turn up on the day. Wow. And I think that's one of many indicators we've seen in terms of the number of authorities who've reached out to us, who we've been able to work with and fund, that shows sort of the growing demand and appetite and curiosity for the role that PropTech can play in planning. And and our role and, and my role is to stimulate that demand and keep driving that demand that ultimately will drive adoption um, beyond the length of, of our funding program and, and the, the length of government intervention. We'll, of course, do what we can in this space. We'll create policy. We'll create guidance. We'll create some digital toolkits that enable and support that. But ultimately, the way that this will be supported long term is when the prop tech sector um, has consistent uh, demand and capacity to pay for solutions from local government alongside the private sector. And that will, in turn, foster much more, I think, um, developed and diverse ecosystem in the prop tech sector as well. And as you look across the world, coming from Australia, and then, of course, you'll you'll probably have peered at other countries in Europe, for example, to see how they do this or don't do this. How is the UK on this? Please tell me we're not the worst. I mean, are there, are there, are there some fantastic examples out there where you've seen this really working? Again, I think it depends what this means. I think there's, there's interesting examples um, in France around... Uh, participatory uh, budgeting and digital democracy. So essentially government's saying we have a pot of money and citizens decide how it's allocated and where it goes to. And we've got a few of those projects in our latest round of funding, which is great. Um, Watford's doing that and they've seen an amazing result because they've literally uh, given power to the people through a prop tech platform. And, and they had thousands of people respond in quite a short period of time. But I think, I think the best case studies, I know I'm probably biased, are in the UK, both mm. inside the fund that we've been supporting directly and some emerging ones outside. What the UK has is kind of all the, all the right ingredients to be a world leader in this space. We've got a planning system that we know needs to be radically um, fixed. 
Um, there's a term fixer plumbing, like get the basics right with planning, make it more efficient, make it easier to engage both for planners and for consultants and for everyday citizens. So we've got a planning system that we know is broken, needs to be fixed. We've got local authority scale. There's 300 plus local authorities in this country and they've all got demand and, and sort of different levels of requirement for digital transformation and they want to be part of this. Um, We've got a prop tech ecosystem and marketplace that I think is world leading. I'm sure the others on the program might say other sectors, but I think the UK has an amazing prop tech ecosystem and, and peer based network. Even just going to the UK prop tech um, awards last week, uh, fantastic indication of how far the industry's grown in five or six years. Six years ago, you know, there weren't 300 people in a room celebrating awards and focusing on things like ESG and social impact. And now we can do that because we have depth in the marketplace uh, and that will only continue to grow. So we've got these ingredients that um, all fit together to support, I think, global leadership in this space to respond to, I think, which is the most critical issue of um, enabling the delivery of faster homes and infrastructure because we know more people um, need access to housing, whether rental or um, permanent. And, and that's the role that I hope PropTech can play in fast-tracking that for many people across the country. Well, Bridget, if we are going to make a success of this, I think we need more Bridgets uh, involved, <laughs> um, which, which actually brings me to my next question. I think you, you, you joined this role perhaps, was it two years ago? A year ago. Just, just a, a year yeah, ago. Yeah. So uh, I am hoping, um, obviously, that you stay in this position. But bringing it back to your personal story, uh, what's what's the plan? You told me that you're a meticulous planner, so you probably you probably know exactly what you're going to do for the next forty years. It's on a spreadsheet. What 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 can what can people expect? What do you expect of yourself? Oh, that's a good question. It's funny. I used to be a meticulous planner. I've kind of let it go a little bit. Maybe because I'm getting older, I got to trust the process. <laughs> um, I really enjoy my role. I really enjoy the team I'm working with and the vision that we have to radically change planning. Planning's hard. Like, it's it's a hard space to be in. Um, but it's meaning, meaningful for me and it's worthwhile mm. and it's very aligned to the values that I, that I want to lead by and, and work, work by. So what's next for me? I mean, I'll do a vision board at the start of next year, of course. That's always important to, to see what the future holds and uh, I encourage every all listeners to sort of uh, manifest what, what might come up for you. But I think uh, I really am curious about the role that communities can play when you combine that with delivering, enabling and almost de-risking um, the built environment. I think a lot of us still see communities as existing residents who perhaps sometimes are opposed to change uh, and that's fine but also communities could be your occupier they could be your end user they could actually help inform how you're designing space and how you're delivering it and i think they could bring a lot more value into that process than perhaps we perceive and to me that's a really exciting space to keep thinking about how we use technology but also how we use common sense and communication and engagement and inclusion and and we ultimately create a more inclusive built environment um, around us with, with those key principles. Now, you talked about a vision board. That is something that you will yes. do. We like to help people on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, so we're now on to the subject of tips. Those that are looking perhaps to enter into the real estate industry, can you think of one or two things that you can advise people, the do's and don'ts of, of getting into the industry? Getting and, into the industry? And, or be, and being staying? a success while, while, while you're in it. 
Okay, in terms of getting into industry, my advice would be there's no path before you that isn't your own. That comes kind of like mm-hmm. the role that I have now didn't exist 12 months ago. The role before that didn't exist 12 months ago. And even the role I have before that, okay, CBRE had a development team, but there was no one kind of doing that and prop tech. And then even in Australia, there was no real women. There was only a few women in capital markets. So, you know, if I'd sat there 15 years ago and thought, oh, I'll go down this path that I can see, well, that path would be eroding before me. So I think there is a, a role to have a vision of, of of walking your own path, um, even if you can't see it ahead of you. And that vision and that what allows you to keep walking down that path are really a key understanding and alignment of your values to what you're doing in terms of the work you're doing, the behaviour you're creating for you and your team and the change that you want to influence around you. Um, I made quite a conscious choice a number of years ago to, to be very values-led in the work that I do. And I think having having values sort of instill in, in how you approach problems and, and solutions is ultimately what gets us out of bed in the morning, isn't it? On a cold, cold rainy yeah, Friday. I guess. Like it's, today. It's why, why, why are we doing it? If, we don't, if we're not there because we care about it and we want to drive change, then like, what's the point? Life's yeah. too short. It's too precious. Like, Absolutely. So it, I think... Real estate is a challenging and complicated and complex industry, but it's absolutely brilliant. And the thing that makes it brilliant is the people. The people that you get to meet and, and become friends with, the people that you get to work with and the ideas and the inspiration and the people that ultimately we're serving are the people who have access to homes and different you know, experiences and different types of real estate infrastructure. And we can touch so many different people digitally and physically in, in this sector. Um, but if we're not driven by our, our core values in that space, it's a very long and it's a very hard and often it's a very lonely game. And our values give us our uh, ability to tap into our superpowers. So I think my advice would be for anyone um, listening, you know, take the time, sit down, whether with an Excel spreadsheet or not, and, and really be honest with yourself on what your true values are and hold them as your North Star and guiding light in decisions that you make, both personally and professionally, that hopefully can align them throughout your career. And finally, finally, uh, what about things that you read or maybe even podcasts that you listen to that you think um, would be helpful to other people to, to also listen to? I read a great book recently. It's called Black Box Thinking by Matthew Said, And it was about the science of diversity, the science of cognitive diversity. And I think you know, diversity is still a key issue in the built environment and prop tech sector. Um, we've got a long way to go, but we have made some strides recently and what Matthew talks about is the real science behind it which I think is quite fascinating because it's hard to argue with science some people still do but it's harder to argue with science and uh, he talks about how diversity literally saves lives and saves teams and programs at NASA and you know the FBI and, and different areas so I think it's a really good challenge on thinking about the conscious and unconscious bias we have uh, as humans, when we're looking to create more diverse environments and really challenge that thinking um, to ensure that we are bringing different perspectives to conversations, to the table, to consultations, to planning for the future, and see how we really um, validate the role that sort of disruptive and different thinking can have in that space. Bridget, thank you very much for joining us. Fantastic. Great to be here. Thanks for having me.